0: Matthew Wilde. Welcome to My Wax Museum. sorry. I had one more question. Okay, ask your question, (laughs) and then I'll go again. What is this thing for? Welcome to another episode of My Wax Museum. Today on the show, I'm joined by one of my very good friends, Matt Wilde. Matt and I talk about, among other things, growing up on a farm in southern Alberta, the joys and challenges of being a father and balancing fatherhood with school and work. Remember, after listening to today's episode, or even before, just take five minutes out of your day to listen to someone else. I promise, it'll change both of you for the better. Matthew Wild, welcome to My Wax Museum. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, so, so like I mentioned, we start off with how we know each other. Is there is there any moment where you remember us meeting? or uh, or any story you can tell from that
1: um i don't i definitely can't remember for sure the first moment we met uh i do have a vague recollection of going to your family home in Cranston as a new seminary teacher yeah and all i can remember is walking up to your home and seeing a giant van in the parking lot a big white Van, but then I can't remember. Like I must have gone in your house, but I don't remember any. I don't <laughs> remember. Of that. I don't
0: remember you coming over. Yeah, well, maybe I, I, just, I, I think maybe I was I
1: Creeped in your windows or something. Y- you must have like <laughs> knocked on the door. Nobody was home. I don't know. I I have no memory of that except seeing your van. Yeah, and then uh, I teach seminary for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints for my job, and I so I remember you coming to one of my. I don't sorry I don't remember, but I know you must have been in one of my early classes, mm-hmm. but I can't specifically remember. Yeah, Any of those details, I just have lots of vague memories of Alex Williams in Seminary.
0: Oh yeah. I remember being in your class, and I remember uh, when I looked at you, I was like, "Wow, like this guy's an adult." You know, like you were my teacher. You're my teacher. And then and then I remember, I think it must have been I was 16 or something when I realized, like, well, he's not that much older than me. This, he's only 28.
1: That's actually something that's hit me lately is just yeah. how young I was and how close in age I was to those first students that I had.
0: Yeah. I'm almost as old as you were when you started. How old are you? I'm 24. Yeah.
1: I was 26 when I got here. Yeah. That's crazy. Isn't that nuts? (laughs) Right? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm old now.
0: Yeah. You're getting there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No. So that was, uh, I guess that's how we know each other. And then we've always kind of been around each other since then, um, because we went to church together as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And then... I don't know, I tend to stick around the people <laughs> I like, so <laughs> uh, so why don't you tell me then where you're from?
1: Okay, so I was born in Raymond, Alberta, Canada, in an old hospital that doesn't exist anymore.
0: It's knocked down or repurposed?
1: Knocked down, gone. Okay. And then I was lived my entire life in Welling, Alberta, which is just outside of Raymond, I grew up in one house about two miles away from a farm that my dad worked on. And then when I was seven, we moved to being right on that farm. Okay. Yeah.
0: And so did you work on the farm as well then?
1: Yes. I remember I have memories of learning to drive a tractor when I was probably 10 or 11 years old. Really? And I can remember, yeah, driving these big industrial lawnmower, rototiller things.
0: And was that like on your own? Like when you were 10 or oh, 11, yeah. like yep. you're on there riding around? Yep, just driving around, doing farm work. And did you feel like that was unique when you were doing it? Or was it just uh, kind of no, like... not at all,
1: actually. That was just what... Because I grew up with... So it was a family farm. It went back to like 1902 or something. Mm-hmm. It was formed and so my great-great-grandpa and his son kind of started it together. And then three of my great-grandpa's sons formed this farm together. Yeah. And so then there was tons of their descendants. So it was like a Hutterite colony, but we weren't Hutterites.
0: And so, so, I mean, I guess you grew up with a lot of family around yeah. that, eh? Yeah,
1: so there was cousins all over the place. That's what the point of that story was, was that um, all my older cousins drove tractors and farm equipment at young ages and so that's just what we did we there was like a progression of like if you're a certain age you can now drive this size of tractor
0: right right this
1: this certain farm equipment
0: yeah huh and so what i mean i guess why didn't you stick with it why aren't you there today
1: that's a loaded question my goodness um because i love what i'm doing right now too much. Hmm. That's the that's the short answer to it. I've battled with that my entire life and probably once or twice a year i still battle with that question really? <laughs> and think why do i live in a city? Why am i not living on the farm giving my kids the amazing life that i had when i was little?
0: Yeah. I Oh, man. Because I, I know yeah. seeing you and seeing your kids and stuff, like you're very much the small town vibe kind of people. Like you yeah. like to just let them run outside and yeah. do their own thing. Totally. And so I guess because you, you live in Chestermere, right? Yep. So outside of the city, city, right? So, is that right. like part of why you live so, out there?
1: Yeah, Chestermere was our compromise okay. that we made because my Cheryl, my wife, was raised in the Crows Nest Pass, which has like 6,000 people in it total mm-hmm. and spread out through a bunch of little towns. And so we both really love the small town mentality, the quiet, slower pace, the community feel. But we weren't willing to give up my job right and we weren't willing to have me commute for two hours a day right to, to live there excuse me so Chestermere was sort of the middle ground it's only got 20,000 people in it it is technically a city in name but right right it's pretty small town feel so we drive sh- our snowmobile down the road and stuff oh really so, yeah
0: so do you feel like your kids get a this small town mm, kind of lifestyle a little more?
1: I know. I still feel like we're raising city kids.
0: Really? Yeah. <laughs> and how do they feel? Do you think that they're going to turn out like, <laughs> no, mom and dad, like, I love the city. You know, I'm going to leave this little town and uh, make it big.
1: Uh, gee, that's a good question. Uh, I could see a couple of them embracing sort of the small city life. Mm-hmm. But I could see a couple of them being like, no, we're going to move to urban centers. Really? Well, I don't know. I go back and forth on that because I have others that I could see moving out into like the forest
0: and really being hermits. So. Really? <laughs> Would you move out into the forest to be a hermit? Absolutely. Really? In a heartbeat. Okay. So walk me through that. What does going out and living in the forest as a hermit look like?
1: Right. Okay, hermits too strong of a word. Okay. But I would Woods want to live nerve. <laughs> I would want to I would love to live off the grid. Okay. As far as uh we're totally self-sufficient. We have we generate our own power. Um we have our own water sources and could even have our own food sources. Yeah. Gardening and hunting and fishing and whatever that sort of thing. But I still would want internet <laughs> right right <laughs> and phones and <laughs> i'll be like off that. the
0: grid with an internet connection yeah exactly right, so right. it'll
1: be my own internet connection though <laughs> right well right. not my own but my own power will power that thing so right somehow that would be awesome so i love the area down by like castle mountain pincher creek okay kind of the foothills but pretty close to the mountains but pretty wooded Man, if I could just someday retire out there and have a big truck, yeah, and a snowplow to get me out when it's like, you know, big snowfalls, that would be dreamy.
0: And it, would Cheryl be on board with it? I think so. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll some come days visit you it out would there. depend when
1: it <laughs> would. It depends when you talk to us. Okay, basically, yeah. but yeah, we'd have to have a nice home where kids and grandkids could still come visit and right we're not talking like log cabin right you know no running water like (laughs) outhouse kind of it would be luxury yeah a a giant cabin in the woods (laughs) off the grid would be amazing with like a hundred acres
0: of land that we just hunt and farm and whatever that would be awesome so did you you grew up farming. Did you go hunting as well then? No, I've
1: never killed an animal for food in my life. That nor, boggles my mind. Nor, I don't think. Let me just make sure I'm not lying. I've killed lots of small rodents.
0: Oh yeah, I've, I've heard. And
1: <laughs> some good stories there. Um, but no, I've never eaten an animal that I've killed. Really? Nor have I ever caught a fish.
0: That is wildly surprising to me. Yeah.
1: It's my goal to change that. I want those are skills that I want to develop. Huh. I'm actually, we're paying a woman in our church congregation to uh, teach my oldest son and I to fish this summer. Really? She's going to give us like 10 weeks of lessons. Yeah. So I just, I want to do it right. I don't want to just start throwing hooks in the water and like (laughs) abusing the fish. Right, right. I'm I'm hesitant to just start doing stuff like that without knowing what I'm doing.
0: So. Right, right. Well, I think that's the right way to go about that. <laughs> but that's really surprising to me. Like, Yeah, I know, because I'm so manly. I get it. Well, I mean, <laughs> uh, you've had so many opportunities. You grew that's up in, <laughs> in southern Alberta. That's true, yep. And, yeah. So many wow. people around me, that was
1: their life. But my dad was a farmer, um, but not a huge hunter-fisherman. Really? Yeah.
0: Interesting. Huh. Yeah, my
1: my mom grew up in Calgary, so she was not in that hunter-fisher culture either. Right.
0: Yeah. So why don't you tell us some of the stories where you killed smaller animals, (laughs) not for food?
1: (laughs) This could come back to haunt me someday I think enough people know already.
0: (laughs) Oh. I... I can just remember a few. Tell tell uh, one of the non-incriminating
1: Oh, ones. okay. Well, I remember this one time. This one is not incriminating at all. It was just a funny story where we had this, there was a swimming pool on our farm, like a le- legitimate building with a pool in it, concrete pool. And outside of that pool, there was a trampoline and that was like where we played all summer. And so I remember one night we were sleeping out on the trampoline with a whole bunch of cousins. And one of my cousins, Mark, had a pet raccoon named Waldo. Really? (laughs) Yes. Like an actual pet? Like an actual pet. I can't remember how he caught him or found him. But yeah, it was this little pet raccoon, Waldo. And we were laying out on the tramp one night. And all of a sudden there was this orange fireworks display up above us, like 20, 30 feet up in the air. And we were so confused. We were like, what's going on? It was uh, just like sparks flying everywhere. And so we went over and it was a power pole with like a transformer or something on the top of the pole. And we went over to the bottom of the power pole. And there at the bottom of the pole lay Waldo, the raccoon, (laughs) who had somehow climbed up the power pole and electrocuted himself at the top (laughs) of this pole. (laughs) So that was a. It was traumatizing for Mark. I don't. We all just kind of
0: shrugged, shrugged,
1: and, and kind of were like, "Wow, I don't want to say laughed, but b-
0: but we weren't as we're bothered. shocked
1: by the moment, and right. we're just like, wow, that was weird.' <laughs> <Kind of thing. laughs> Poor Mark. What are the odds of Waldo <laughs> electrocating himself while we were sleeping here? You know. So wow, yeah, <laughs> that was a good one. There was another time that a family of raccoons ran across the road. Yeah, I remember that. I was one. driving my parents' 12-passenger van with a bunch of friends, and for some reason it just felt like the right thing to do in that moment to run over those raccoons.
0: And the guilt has been eating you it up? It does a little bit,
1: actually, when I think about what I've actually did. But in the moment, it was a lot of teenage boys yeah. thinking that was the coolest thing in the world. So We actually went back the next day. To find them, because we realized how foolish we were to not keep them to make coonskin hats for everybody, but they were gone. Someone else had already taken them.
0: Really? Mm-hmm.
1: Or maybe they all walked away and lived. Maybe it was fine. Maybe they were just stunned. Hopefully. <laughs> Let's
0: go with that. That's that's the story you tell yourself <laughs> yeah, to let you that's right. you sleep at My night. My guilty conscience. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so then, were you, would you say you were a dumb teenager? Ah, uh, yeah, actually. Did a lot of dumb things. And how how do you feel you got out of that?
1: Um,
0: or are you still a dumb? No, teenager? I still feel like I do
1: dumb things. Yeah, I I would say the <laughs> I just am more self conscious about being a dumb adult, so I try to do less dumb things in right. front of other
0: people. Right.
1: Or I was less self conscious of that.
0: So you, that's a teenager. So it's social pressures <laughs> yeah. that's keeping you in check. Yeah, basically.
1: That's actually probably more accurate description than I want to admit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, okay. Uh, so you grow up and, uh, and the pressures of the real world, now living in a city, mm. uh, get to you. And now you're an adult. What's it like being an adult in, you know, with the heart of a stupid teenager trying to do adult things and and be grown-up?
1: Well, uh, thankfully, my job allows an outlet for a lot of silly teenager shenanigans, so I enjoy that. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I maybe made it sound like a harder challenge than it is. I think I separate my adult Self and my teenage self, yeah, pretty, pretty easily um, yeah, i don't know hmm.
0: so um, so then growing up though and and uh becoming an adult, what were some formidable experiences that you had that that kind of turned you into the person you are, hmm, formidable or if that's the right word. That, okay.
1: Experiences that made me who I am today. That's what we're going for. Yeah. Okay. Um, I actually think one of the things that has maybe shaped me more than I think about is the fact that I, when I was born, I have a cleft lip and a cleft palate. And so there's always been a element of self-consciousness. I shouldn't say there is. There's not really any more at all. Um, But there always was, kind of growing up, I was always sort of wondering what people were thinking about me. And that's probably more typical than I make it sound for others. But Mm -hmm. And I think I felt a little bit more empathy towards people who didn't Feel like they fit fit in because of the way that they looked or acted or dressed or something like that, and so I think I was generally a fairly a nice person. Like I wasn't mean to a lot of people growing up. Yeah, so I think that has shaped me in some ways. Interesting. Um, I just I actually just genuinely like being nice to people yeah just (laughs) just like making people feel good about themselves and I think a lot about um, what other people are feeling or thinking and I I actually probably worry about it too much Um, in like I try to be over accommodating and I'm always like in the back of my mind I'm always trying to Think about what other people are feeling and thinking. So right, right, that shapes a lot
0: of what I do. And so, may, maybe explain uh, what a cleft lip and cleft palate. Oh, okay. Means,
1: so, yeah. cleft lip and cleft palate. When your brain and when your face and body are forming, your head kind of forms from the back to the front. This is like in the womb, and so a cleft lip and a cleft palate happens when in the formation process. Uh, that never quite comes together in -hmm. the middle. So there's like a large gap or a split in the upper lip where the two sides of your upper lip basically never connected to each other. Interesting. And so the palate is the same thing, but you don't really see it so much because it's on the inside. Right. It just leaves a large crevasse in the roof of your mouth. (laughs) I don't know if the right word is, so. Yeah,
0: and and then it's fixed with surgery. Right, so they right. fix
1: it with surgery, and my my oldest son actually has one, and the surgeries are getting better and better, and so it's almost imperceptible in him. Right, my scar is a little bit more noticeable. From, uh, yeah, they just had different procedures when I was little for how they repaired it. So. Right.
0: Yeah. Interesting, and so that kind of opened you up to being more aware of other people's feelings yeah. you think.
1: Yeah, I also have a couple memories of well, of being very self-conscious about it hmm. but trying to not feel like I cared and trying to put off the the aura of like oh, I don't care, you know, just like whatever, right. but on the inside really caring. Yeah. <laughs> and like, oh. And so I remember this one's not I guess totally related to that, but I remember picking out my first pair of glasses in grade five, and I literally took the first pair that they put on me and just said, like, oh, yeah, yeah, those are cool. Like, I don't even care. Like Really? And they were, like, the ugliest, most hideous glasses ever, <laughs> which actually look a lot like the ones I wear today. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> but in, as a grade five student, I remember just picking them and... Just being like, oh, yeah, yeah, those are totally cool. Like, I don't really care. Yeah. And then so a similar experience with the cleft was when I was 12 years old. Would have been about the same age when I was at the children's hospital and I had like three or four surgeons staring at me. And they were kind of analyzing the repair job that was done on the cleft. Yeah. Yeah. And they were like, Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good But they said like we could actually take a little bit from the left side of your lip and move it to the right side of your lip to like even it out a little more. Huh. And I remember just being like, No no no, like I don't I don't even care. Like, whatever. Really? <laughs> and so but then looking back I've always been like, Why didn't I do that? <laughs> like I could have just they could've evened out the lip and Interesting. Yeah, so I had this weird self-consciousness but a desire to not look like i was self-conscious at all
0: yeah interesting Mm. yeah you know i i feel like that's a pretty standard thing for people to to feel like you know to to feel like oh no i gotta i gotta play it cool like i can't be self-conscious about this whereas really Everybody's got a million things yeah. that they're like. Oh, did they notice? Did they notice? Like, oh, my shirt is kind of, you know, a little wrinkly <laughs> today. Like, I hope nobody will notice. Yeah. Or you know, oh, my haircut wasn't quite right. You know. Yeah. Um, so, I guess because um, you you said that now you're kind of more comfortable with mm-hmm. it. Yeah. What's what's made you more comfortable with it?
1: Uh, hmm. I think. I actually, uh, I I feel like I've kind of owned it now a little bit. And it's mm. like, I wouldn't want to not have a cleft lip and palate because it's beca- it's who I am. Like, I feel like it's a part of my identity. Right. It's like, this is, I have a scar on my face. Like, it's right. Just, and that's how people know me and see me and whatever. And so I almost, I kind of like it in, a, in that sort of way. Huh. The other thing I think that's helped is sort of what you were just talking about is I remember – I think I've grown into this idea, but this podcast that I listened to maybe a year or two ago said they gave this – I'm trying to remember how they phrased it, but they basically said we're all – every human, we're all just faking it. Like Mm -hmm. we're all just like trying to look like we know what we're doing in every situation And behind the scenes, we're all just, you know, the analogy of like, you know, ducks calm on top, but underneath the feet are just paddling like crazy kind of thing. And so I think about that all the time now, whenever I feel like self-conscious in a situation because I'm around other people or whatever, I have that thought cross my mind. And I feel like now they're all just trying to look like they're on top of it, too. And so I just kind of it makes me just let go a little bit. That's good. Where I'm just like. I don't
0: even care what you think, because you're as
1: worried about what I think about yeah. what I think as I am about what you think
0: so. yeah, I think I heard it um I heard when when you're in your twenties and thirties, you're all worried about what other people think, mm-hmm. and then when you turn forty you you know you stop caring what other people think, yeah. and then when you get to sixty, you realize nobody was thinking about you in the first place, <laughs> yeah, that's true. And and so that that's interesting that you've kind of just come to that realization that yeah. everybody's just got their own worries.
1: Well, and I even think that way about, like, um, when I think about how I dealt with adults when I was, like, a teenager, I felt like, oh, those adults just, like. They just know what's going on. Like I got to, you know, they're just so in charge of the situation. They know everything's (laughs) good. And I tell that to my students and kids all the time. Like we're just faking it, man. We have no idea. Yeah. We've most of the time never parented before, never been in this, these kinds of situations before. So we just fake it to look like we're confident and get through the situation. So I really, (laughs) I think we're all just faking it, Yeah. (laughs) getting through
0: life, trying to,
1: not fall apart, look, fall apart and look ridiculous.
0: And I I mean, I guess with people faking it, at least they're trying, <laughs> yeah. you know, like we're we're here and we're trying to, you know, put off some aura that we know what we're doing. Mm. Uh, so here's a question for you. Uh, being a dad mm. uh, with your oldest son having a cleft lip as well. Yeah. Is it something that you see him struggling with? Is that confidence on that? Or does he really not care?
1: Hmm. I should probably talk to him about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. He seems pretty self-confident. Yeah. But, yeah, that makes me question like and think back. Like Maybe I put off that same... Maybe he's just putting off what I was trying to put off.
0: Right, right.
1: Yeah, and I don't know how you get a ten-year-old to really self-reflect and analyze if they're in that mode of right. trying to, like, yeah, no, son, do you feel totally unaware? <laughs> are you? Do you feel self-confident? Oh yeah, oh yeah, I'm totally. So, you know, right. like if they're in that mode of trying right. to put on, that's that's a tricky thing to get a kid, especially, to be self-aware of.
0: Yeah. So. Uh, that what is, what is it like being a dad?
1: Hmm. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. Yeah, we're um, uh, <laughs> we're all just faking it. It's it's amazing and it's fun, but it's we're all just winging it as we're going through this experience. And that's what I literally feel like that every day. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna learn how to discipline a ten year old today. Right. How are we going to do that? I don't know. Let's see what happens. Right. That's what Every day, that's what we wake up and do is we wing it through that. But it's been interesting, I think, about the way we parent our kids. Mm-hmm. And I for sure think, wow, I put more pressure on Aiden, my 10-year-old, than we've put on other kids. I think because I... I see so much of myself in him. Hmm. I think he's the one of our four kids so far that just looks like me and acts like me the most. And so I try to like all the things that I remember (laughs) about my childhood that I didn't like, I'll try to like fix in him somehow
0: or teach him (laughs) somehow to like not struggle in those ways or whatever. And how does he react to that? Oh, it's great. Yeah. yeah
1: actually, I he's a he really is like a wonder child. And I don't say that because I've just now <laughs> said he's the one that's the most like me. Right. But he really he's very teachable. Um Yeah, always is trying to just do better and be better and that sort of those sorts of things. <laughs> So, yeah, I wish I could think of a specific example right now, but I can't. I just know that I catch myself often being like, oh, I'm being extra strict or extra hard on him right now in this moment because I'm seeing my past self in him. Right. Yeah.
0: And do you like, is there a way you communicate that to him and and make him understand your motives? Um, Or is that like too much to load on a 10 year old?
1: Uh, I don't, I think I should probably do more of that, I guess, to be honest, in those moments. that um, would be, it would have to be a thing that you can actually slow down and have a 10 minute talk about, whereas mm-hmm. sometimes it's like in the moment when you're just trying to get out the door or something, right. you know, something's happening right. where there's more of a time crunch or something. So, hmm.
0: yeah. Interesting. So what's the most mm-hmm. challenging thing? About being a dad,
1: hmm most challenging thing uh oh, now I know uh I think for me personally, it's balancing the work church dad life and the and making sure that. I'm giving the kids the time that they need because I feel pulled to be a good employee. I really want to teach seminary really, really well Mm -hmm. and to be excellent at it and to give students a great experience. And I want to do well in the things I do in my church service and activities. I want to, you know, be helping people in those ways. And so I'm really pulled those ways. And so I really feel like there are times where I have to force myself to stop doing those things because I'm like, no, no, no. There there should be no higher priority in my life than making sure that my kids have a great upbringing. Hmm. And so, yeah, I have to pull myself away sometimes to make sure that I'm doing them all at the right
0: balance. Right, because, I I mean, that's a big challenge. You have to go to work so that you can feed your family. Right. Right, but you also have to make sure that you're there for your family yeah
1: and i think part of the problem is that i said i naturally really enjoy my job and i feel like i naturally am uh, well i i like to think that i'm successful at my job i beat myself up a lot thinking the ways i could be better at it but if i'm being honest and frank with myself i'm like no i'm i'm okay at my job like i'm pretty good at it and i enjoy it a lot And so I find it's almost easier to get utility. Do you know what that word word means? So it's like this idea of like or happiness through my work. Whereas like I have to work a little bit harder at being a really great dad. Hmm. I feel like it's almost harder to be a good dad than it is to be a good seminary teacher for me. If Interesting. Make, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I, I feel like being an employee is probably easier than, you know, bringing up children yeah. and, you know, and trying to turn them into decent people.
1: Yeah. Yeah, my – Cheryl always reminds me of this quote where she says that we are – oh, man, I'm going to butcher the quote now – but we are helping our children – through the slow and tricky business of becoming themselves, hmm. and I'm always like, "Whoa, that's so daunting, you know <laughs> like who are you who is what is their true self, and am I somehow ruining them because I'm mad at them in this moment right now right. I know I'm feeling impatient, am I somehow you know demoralizing them hmm. instead of being the champion and support that I should so but so fun right let me throw I need to add that because I don't want to make it sound like there is no greater joy in my life than right. I'm having when I when I do feel like I'm being a good dad there's no greater
0: happiness so tell me about that tell me about some moments you've had where you're like I'm nailing this thing right. like I'm doing a great job <laughs>
1: honestly it's most of the time when it's just like I just like play tag with my kids in our house and we just like run around and I I'm just, I feel so present in that moment. And those are, those are the times where I feel like I'm really nailing it where I don't have my phone. I don't have work emails or church things on my mind kind of in the background, but where I'm just a hundred percent in whatever the moment is with my kids. Uh, And so, yeah, playing tag happens a lot at our house, actually. We run around uh, doing that. There are other times, too, where I'll just sit with my kids and talk for, you know, half an hour to an hour. And just those times are cool. And um, we like going on little family excursions, too. Like the most recent one I'm thinking of where I really felt that way was um, we went out to get a Christmas tree in the mountains. And we just we left everything behind we drove out into the mountains and we just walked around in the snow together and talked and laughed and then built a fire and roasted hot dogs and marshmallows and hmm. i just think those are the moments that make a kid's
0: life that's awesome yeah yeah i i mean i can imagine them looking back fondly yeah on those those moments
1: yeah and i hope that they'll remember moments I was oh man, I remember dad running around playing tag with us. Yeah. You know? And not oh, I remember Dad being really busy trying to get his masters courses finished. So he ignored me for that evening.
0: Right. <laughs> oh shoot. That's not what I want. So Yeah. That's interesting. Uh it almost makes it sound easy to be a parent when you say, Well you you have to be in the moment. You know, yeah. you just let other things go. <laughs> yeah. But it's so hard. <laughs> Yeah. to let those things go. So is there a way that you like kind of get in that mindset and and let go of all those external things vying hmm. for your attention? Um, I think this is going
1: to sound... There's two things I would say. Um, number one is my email inbox is my to-do list. Hmm. And so I... Use the snooze feature of Gmail <laughs> because it makes them disappear. Hmm. So if my if my Gmail to do list is empty, then I feel way more liberated to just be like, okay, I have nothing pressing on my time right now, uh, and so parenting my kids is the is the most pressing thing right now. And other times, I'll just like drive home. And there might be a ton of things on my mind when I haven't like been able to clean out my inbox or whatever, as lame as that is, uh, where I'll just pull into the garage and I'll just sit in the garage for like one or two minutes before I go in the house and almost have a little self-talk hmm. where I'll just be like, okay, I got things on my mind, they feel important to me, but in the grand scheme of things, there's nothing more important right now than going in and walking in my house and just being present with my kids with my family um just being there and so it's almost like this self-coaching of like okay let it all go (laughs) right I remember reading a story once about a guy who would walk home and there was like a tree outside of his house Hmm. and he like called it his worry tree or his cares tree I can't remember what he called it but he would like Walk up to his house, stand by the tree, hang all of his cares you know symbolically on the tree, and then walk into his house and be carefree to be there for his wife and for his kids hmm. so that's kind of what I do, but it's in
0: my garage it's in your garage hopefully
1: I'm not getting carbon monoxide poisoning or something yeah, we if hope I haven't not. turned off my car yet
0: yeah <laughs> so you mentioned that you're doing master's courses mm-hmm. Um and, uh, and kind of getting into the end portion of the episode here, uh, let's look at your future and talk about what, what are you doing your master's in, why are you doing a master's, and what's that experience been like? Hmm. Uh,
1: what was the first question again?
0: What are you doing your master's
1: in? Oh, okay, in? right. So it's, through, it's called the Master's of Educational Technology hmm. through the University of British Columbia. So it's all online. Um, I picked that one because it was all online, for one thing. I didn't want to have to stop any of my work. I didn't want that to be interrupted at all. And I just really liked this program, actually. It also turned out to be one that was a lot cheaper than other courses, other programs, so that's a plus. Um... Yeah, I really just wanted to find a master's that focused on uh, the, the future of education, I guess. And mm. the, and so I figured that technology is the probably the easiest way to look at that. Um, yeah, this one, I looked at a few other ones, but this one just seemed, I read all the course descriptions and this one seemed to line up with what I really wanted. Hmm. I hope to try to be at the forefront, I guess, of what we can do with technology in our education world, which is really tricky because I mostly teach about spiritual things. Right. Lots of times technology is counterproductive to feeling connected with God.
0: Hmm. So how do you then... um, Use technology? I mean, obviously, you're doing a correspondence program. Mm-hmm. So you use technology to go through your program. Um, but what do you see it being used as in the future, and how can we really take advantage right. of technology in education?
1: I think, I don't, uh, I don't know, I don't think about it very much for like public school and secular education. I only think about that as much as I have to to get through these courses Mm -hmm. because they are not as interested in hearing about (laughs) the spiritual conversion factor or whatever that I'm interested in. Um, So I think the greatest benefit that technology is going to have for my situation, at least, is it's going to allow more flexibility in time of education and it's going to allow more flexibility in the distances we can reach Hmm. when it comes to educating students. So there are pilot programs and other things that are going on right now where they're doing online seminary classes and people, you know, there's a teacher in Lethbridge that's teaching a class of students who get together, but they're all up near in Valley View, which is like by Grand Prairie. Right. And so, you know, the teachers in Lethbridge, the classes in Valley View But the experience is getting more and more like a normal face-to-face, traditional face-to-face classroom experience. And that's what I think technologies is going to do, at least for our situation. Right. They're going to allow, it'll allow for a more traditional classroom experience for a wider variety of people based on time and location.
0: Right. Right. It'll be nice when it's all holograms. And yeah, you, exactly. You can just join that way. Yeah,
1: and I honestly think that's where we're going. Yeah, like it'll be. It won't matter where you are. You can just have a
0: live experience. Virtual reality. Yeah, you totally. could you could stay at home and teach. Yeah, that's the goal. You could stand goal, in the living actually. room with the <laughs> goggles on. Yeah, Aiden could walk up daddy daddy not now i'm teaching yeah no <laughs> and i you actually can see this whole classroom and
1: i actually i'm convinced that's where we are headed. really yep. yeah 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 economic economically it makes way more sense
0: it's way cheaper
1: and if you don't lose the interpersonal like nonverbal communication then the experience can be the exact same i think
0: right so right Huh, that'll yeah. be interesting to you see. Just don't
1: get to give them a hug after or whatever. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> whatever that sort of the physical t- contact element, which is pretty minimal in what we do. So
0: Right, right. Huh. That's interesting. And so uh, have you enjoyed the master's program or are you looking forward to it just like being done?
1: Um, I have enjoyed some elements of it. I... Have lots of thoughts about the factory system of education that we live in, which we know about. Yeah. And so there's a lot of things that I don't enjoy about it because I feel like a lot of it is just jumping through hoops, not actually getting an education. Hmm. Although some of that is by my own laziness, right? Like if I really cared about educating myself about some of these topics, then I would educate myself more but when it comes down to spending time on that or spending time with my kids often I will choose spending time with my kids because I feel like I can pass quote I'm doing air quotes right now pass the class without putting in all that effort or actually educating myself
0: right you're kind of doing what needs to be done to get through and wrap it up yeah exactly right Interesting. So
1: I love the things. I'm fascinated by the things, the topics we cover. Right. Like I love imagining the future of virtual reality in education, which we have talked about a lot in my program. I don't like the some of the ways that we are graded on showing if we have actually participated. So
0: Right, right. As a university student, I, I feel that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so I guess then... Uh, after your master's program when that's done what do you kind of see being in your future what's coming up a cabin in the woods a cabin in the no. woods
1: so near term uh, we still my wife's pregnant with our fifth child that we're going to have here um so I don't see much changing for the next 15 years I would say for me um Cheryl plans to go back to school in the next few years, I think. Uh, So that'll change a little bit, but I think I'll just keep teaching, hopefully implementing more technology and online ways of teaching. I would love to keep teaching the seminary that I'm at, but then also maybe get involved with BYU with their online Hmm university things that they're doing, but in the religious education department there. Okay. If I could be a half-time seminary teacher and a half-time online religion, like institute religion instructor, that would be the dream. Hmm. And so I picture us doing that for, man, 30 years. Yeah. Till I retire, wherever that takes us. And then after retirement hanging out with lots of kids and grandkids and having a cabin somewhere in the woods
0: that sounds great yeah so i guess then at the very end of your life mm-hmm. at the tail end you're sitting in your cabin in your woods nice i like uh, it. and uh and you're you're looking around at all your grandchildren and great-grandchildren <laughs> things are great and dandy uh and i mean maybe those are the things you're most proud of but what else in your life are are you looking at with kind of you know maybe some teary eyes hmm. and just happy for
1: um yeah so i would say number 1 is i'm sitting in a rocking chair or like an old porch swing with my wife mm-hmm. and we're just like super old and wrinkly but like super in love holding hands You know, just like that's the number one thing. And then, yeah, I picture all the kids and grandkids all around. Um, So those those are my hopes and my vision of the future. I also hope that I have developed some ideas of my own. I would love to have maybe written a book Hmm. or two by that point maybe just one, just something to sum up all the thoughts I've ever had on life. Right. <laughs> a right. Chapter for every rant I have ever wanted to put in, put down. That would be cool. And I wouldn't really, I wouldn't even really care if a lot of people bought it. I would, I would want to write a book more for the project of crystallizing all of my thoughts and ideas hmm. in a way where I could look at it and be like, Yep. That's everything I think and believe right there. You want to know about me? Read that book. And that would, <laughs> and, and it kind of maybe as a way even to have those thoughts live on after I die.
0: I think that'd be a healthy thing for anybody. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, so that would be really cool to have written that all out. I would have liked to look back and feel like I developed some scholarship in my field as well. To feel like I was successful at that. Uh, but I think the biggest other thing is that I would hope that I would look back, and I actually have saved a class role from every class I've ever taught. Really? Yeah. And so I, I would love to have just a giant file full of those. Yeah. And I would love to just read over the names and just have heartwarming experiences come to mind where I can look back and think oh yeah Alex Williams you know and just have your face and memories of our experiences together like come flooding back and just kind of enjoy the warm fuzzy moment of that just being like oh yeah and, and I would love to to like be in touch enough with a bunch of my students that I kind of have seen their life uh, seen where they've gone what they've done and to feel like somehow I've been a part of shaping that <laughs> would be that would make me feel really fulfilled at the end of a life to just be like, yeah, there's a lot of people out there that hopefully will have fond memories of what I've done for them in their life. There's actually a hymn that I desperately want people to want to sing at my funeral. Did that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so I want them to sing the hymn, Each Life That Touches Ours for Good. Do Hmm. you know any of the words to that?
0: I can look them up. I got it right here. No,
1: I don't. Each life that touches ours for good reflects thine own great mercy, Lord. That's all I remember right now.
0: Here we go. 293. <coughs> I'm going to sing it for you, Matt. <laughs> okay. Just kidding. I'm going to say it. Each life that touches ours for good reflects thine own great mercy, Lord. Thou sendest blessings from above through words and deeds of those who love.
1: Keep going. Keep going? Yeah, it's all good. It's all good.
0: What greater gift dost thou bestow? What greater goodness can we know than Christ like friends? whose gentle ways strengthen our faith, enrich our days. When such a friend from us departs, I feel like I'm at your funeral now. That's good. That's what I want you to feel like. We hold forever in our hearts a sweet and hallowed memory bringing us nearer, Lord, to thee. For worthy friends whose lives proclaim devotion to the Savior's name, who bless our days with peace and love, we praise thy goodness, Lord above.
1: Yeah. Will you read that at my funeral? I will read that at your funeral. <laughs> and then
0: I'll die 12 years later. Yeah. 12 years.
1: Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. So that, yeah. like seriously, that the sentiment in that hymn is what I desperately hope to achieve hmm. in this life. As far as like relationships, number one, relationships, but also number two, pointing people to Jesus. Hmm. Right. And like that through my association with them, they felt loved, they felt good and they felt like they wanted to follow Jesus more in their life. Hmm. So, yeah, write that down. And if everybody forgets, you at least I'll be like, wait, wait, you wait, just wait, show up. Wait, Matt said that we- <laughs> you just show Sher- up. And- Cheryl's
0: like, Alex, we haven't seen you in 40 years. <laughs> yeah
1: just show up and at least read it at my graveside or something
0: okay so that'd be okay. Nice. It'll be a touching moment <laughs> That's awesome well, oh. thanks for enriching my life uh over the past i guess ten years that we've known each other for real yeah, it's been about ten years
1: yeah, you're right,
0: yeah so thank you Wow. and uh thanks for being on my wax museum yeah, this was cool. I like it and thank you for listening, not just to this show, but to the people around you, the people you know from work or from school or from some community. Thank you for listening to them, because if there's one way we're going to change the world, it's going to be by listening to the people around us.